covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. This is Joe from Celebrate.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany. I'm right now here in my cramped study, as you can see in the background if you're watching this on YouTube. And I do have a guest live and direct from some phone booth in London. Hey. Hey, hey, John. How's it going? I'm doing great. Thank you. And um, we'll soon learn what brought you to uh, into this phone booth and uh, stashing stuff away. But first, let's talk a little bit about you because you are a ma you have a master's in economics. That's usually not the the um, average background for a startup founder. How d how did you decide to do economics and then? like did a pivot towards startups? Yeah, I guess it, um, it sort of goes back to school. Um, I always really liked the idea of running, uh, running a business, running any business really, um, sort of being an entrepreneur and being able to set your own agenda. And just my interest in the world of business kind of put me, uh, put me onto studying economics as a subject at school, which I really enjoyed. When I was trying to decide what to read at university, it was kind of, It was a trade-off between maths or economics, and I always felt like economics had uh, it, it was kind of it had the sort of practical application as well, um, and and the maths was a little bit less challenging. But the um, it, it was kind of bringing that real-world application to what I liked about maths uh, that made me quite interested in economics. And I guess as well, the timing was quite. Uh, quite relevant because when I first started studying economics was just as the financial crash was happening. So it was it sort of felt like quite a fascinating time to be to be reading this, to be to be interested because uh, it, it seemed to me that everyone who'd sort of built businesses and institutions up till now there was there was this sort of crisis going on and even really experienced people didn't totally understand and then people did start to understand and it sort of It, it, it was this amazingly sort of interconnected system. Anyway, I, I sort of found it really, really fascinating. Uh, the course I went on to read was uh, actually economics and business management. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a brilliant course. I, I did actually, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I did my master's in economics really because I, uh, I didn't want to go straight into any kind of city career. I didn't feel like anything like banking or consulting. Uh, and I mean, those were the kind of companies that were coming around to the campus and, and trying to recruit. I didn't feel like any of that was really sort of singing to me. It didn't strike me as something I wanted to do, but I did. I liked game theory. I liked what I was studying in terms of management. I actually really wanted an excuse to apply it to something in practice. Um, my co-founder, Anthony, I should say, so we, we met when we were studying uh, together at Oxford. We did economics together there. Uh, and in the year that I was doing my master's at UCL was the same year that we actually co-founded Stasia. Um, and it kind of, it was this year where we had the opportunity to, 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 to kind of explore this idea and build on what was just a really basic concept. And I mean, we really saw it just as a sort of side hustle. When we first started, it was, it was kind of, it was more a learning opportunity than anything else. I don't think either of us fully appreciated at the time the, uh, the potential of what we were building. I mean, we were certainly excited about it and we would have talked about how we sort of dreamed of building it into, into the company that it is today and the company that it still has the potential to be. But it was very much like, let's just try, let's do something, let's uh, let's learn from the experience. Um, 
but anyway, yeah. So the that that's kind of that's the background that kind of took me to London, where I was studying economics, which is where I was when we when we started Stasha. And um, I was smiling because when you said the crisis, we do have some very senior listeners there. Most people cannot see you right now. Uh, I mean, everybody who could who hears you, because a lot of people would just listen to this interview. They they can be already sure you're not talking about the crisis of 1917. What what crisis did you have in mind? Sorry, I was talking about the 2008-2009 global financial crisis. Um, so this, yeah, uh, as, as you remember, uh, this is when um, the subprime mortgages in America sort of kick-started, or it was like a domino effect, really, and, and, and then sort of so many economies went into recession, and uh, there was Lehman Brothers, and, and I mean, for me at the time when I was just starting to study economics, it just seemed like this sort of massive chaotic mystery that I kind of wanted to understand a little bit better um, and I mean yeah I think I think sort of from that point if, if not slightly before I was quite interested in the world of business and, 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 and stocks and stuff but never never really from the point of view of wanting to go into into the sort of city and trading I always I think I always sort of had that angle where I, I, I wanted to be kind of you know, at the, uh, what's it, the coal face of capitalism, actually running a business and, and, um, uh, and getting my hands dirty, running my own thing. But I hope that clarifies. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh, just a little bit teasing you. And, um, I was wondering when I first read and heard the idea about Dasher, I personally found it very good because I've spent um, one very long afternoon at JFK because at the time I was planning to like leave New York in the late afternoon, early evening or local time. And I was trying to go to JFK, put my luggage in some uh, luggage storage and then go and see um, see some sides around. And, um, actually, I want to see the, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, supposed flying saucers from, uh, Man in Black. But, um, actually, um, I was there at JFK and they told me, oh, sorry, nothing here. You cannot store your luggage. And I said, okay, can I check in? And they said, nope, three hours before. And so I was sitting there and wasting lifetime. So, How did you get your idea? Because I had this experience and I never get the idea. Let's do the Airbnb of luggage storage. <laughs> I mean, I think that's one of the things I still love so much about being in this business is I think almost everyone I've ever told the idea to can either has experienced something just like yourself or can imagine themselves being in that experience where you're traveling and The last thing you want to do is be worried about looking after your luggage or you don't want it to stop you from, you know, being able to enjoy yourself to the full. The idea for this, you know, it's funny. The, the idea for this actually um, came from a slightly different project that we originally worked on. So when we first had the idea for Stasha, it was actually it was more literally Airbnb for storage. It was um, It began when uh, when Anthony used to live really centrally between Euston and King's Cross. So these are two of the busiest stations in London for, for any listeners who aren't familiar. He used to live between them and he often had, uh, you know, friends, family asking if they could leave stuff at his place because it was so convenient. And so 
that was when we, we, we were talking about this and we thought, you know what, maybe, maybe there's some, maybe there's an idea here. Maybe sort of, we could actually compete. We could offer a storage service in people's homes. Um, Airbnb obviously was just beginning to be hugely popular. In fact, I mean, by that point it was hugely popular, but I think it was really becoming a sort of household name at that point. So people were increasingly familiar with sharing economy services. The sharing economy as a concept was sort of taking root, people were trusting it more. Uh, and the timing seemed really perfect to, to, to explore something like this. Um, and so we kind of, we, we just dived right in and we made this website where people could book storage in Anthony's flat and in my flat. Uh, and for the beginning, those were the only two. We, we persuaded friends and family who somewhat reluctantly agreed to list their own homes on this website where people could book storage. And it was, it was really, I'm glad that we did that. It was, it was sort of essential because it allowed us to collect the initial data that kind of helped to validate the idea, but also drive the direction we should be taking it in. And I suppose it could have gone one of two ways because there are there are other startups I've seen out there who've, who've made, you know, real businesses out of long-term storage in people's homes. And I'm imagining here, you know, you've got like a whole garage or a shed or, or entire spare rooms and you can do long-term storage for people who want an alternative to self-storage. But where we were looking at it at that point in time, we did quite serious research into self-storage. We saw it was a crowded space. It was competitive. There were a lot of warehouses. And by coincidence, all the early customers who were coming to us, they were interested in really short-term storage. So they were exactly as you described. You know, They were travelers who it was their last day and they just wanted the chance to sort of make the most of the city without having to drag their bags around with them. They'd been checked out and they couldn't leave their bag at their Airbnb or their vacation rental or even their hotel in sort of city centers where they're really busy. Um, or they were, you know, they were they were sort of day trippers or visitors or even locals who were going somewhere and didn't want to drink, didn't want to bring their luggage or their bags or their work stuff or their belongings with them. And so we had this, we, we sort of, we felt like we'd uncovered this niche of short-term storage. The only solution that existed at the time was station lockers. And in London, you know, there's only a handful of them left. They're really expensive. They were charging like £12.50 per bag per day which just seemed extortionate. And we figured, you know, we can do this for half the price and we can scale. I mean, we don't have to set up facilities, hire staff, demand them. We don't have to pay rents. We can literally, we can find places that are willing to store stuff uh, for, for half the price of that and, and roll it out at massive scale. And that was when we got really, really excited about the idea. And that was that was around December 2015, January 2016. And, um, and so we started working with businesses at that point. And that was when, you know, we thought shops and hotels, they're looking for ways to make ancillary revenue. They're open uh, very regular hours, if not 24-7. Um, the one catch with doing that sort of service in our own homes was obviously that if people wanted short-term storage, then they needed you to be in all day, which was obviously something we were prepared to do for our first customers, but we figured this doesn't this doesn't really scale, you know. And I remember at least a couple of times I had to I had to skip lectures and run back early to let someone in to pick up a bag, and I thought. You know, it's it's just about worth it for me because this is my project. But to make this work at scale, we need we need a more reliable provision of storage, and that was where shops and hotels just started to make so much sense. So it was really, yeah, that was kind of the key pivot, and that was, as I say, it could have it could have gone in a few directions, but I think that was the time when we realised that you know we wanted to focus on short term storage, we wanted to focus on tourism and events as the kind of like verticals, I suppose, for why customers were were coming to us. And uh, and that's kind of yeah that was that was the foundation really. 
I realized you are going for tourists, especially because I love New York and I'm there uh, frequently, also for work. And um, I then saw as my co-host at the Startup News um, always describes it as the center of the universe, Times Square, because he, he works just around the corner and... Um, I realized you are actually even providing opportunities to drop off your luggage straight at Times Square, right? There's like a, a small phone uh, phone um, store around there. And so I, I realized, okay, that's very touristic. Um, but before we get into a little bit of the details, how you guys are actually working how this could work for uh, for me as a client i was wondering how do the people discover you guys because i didn't know you guys existed until i was approached by your very awesome uh, pr lady and uh, admittedly if i had known that before i would have used it in london in new york and maybe some other places before and well, it's a very good question. And I mean, obviously, uh, part of that is, as you say, it's that we've we've reached a stage now where we are, we're looking to do a lot more sort of PR and outreach and get the brand out there. Um, up until that point, we've been pretty laser focused on uh, channels with high intent. So what I mean by that is we've relied quite heavily on Google, for example, if people are searching for luggage storage, if they're looking for storage in a particular city, uh, if they look for lockers, that sort of thing, that's when we'll capture people. Um, you know, we put a lot of effort into organic search results, obviously, to make sure that we rank well if people are looking for it. Uh, and likewise, you know, there's obviously always um, Google Pay channels as a way to sort of uh, initially acquire customers as well. Um, that's That's been pretty key for us. Um, another thing, obviously, that we've done is uh, worked quite hard to partner with relevant referrers. The travel industry is actually a really fantastic industry to work in in that respect in that i think because understanding the way people travel is kind of key not everyone there are, you know there are there are some real super users here there are people who travel all the time especially business people but not everyone sort of travels regularly and so when you do have a customer in travel you want to be sort of referring them around all your partners or your affiliates and likewise they do the same for you so just to give you an example of what i'm talking about if people are checking out of an Airbnb and it's managed by a property company that we work with, they'll tell that customer about Stasher as they're checking out and say, you know, we sorry, we can't provide luggage storage for you, but we have this service that we work with. And in fact, in some cases, we find even if they can provide luggage storage, they're happier to refer customers to us because they know that we'll provide the quality of service. It gets the customer out of the apartment and frees them to clean it up and make it ready for the next host without any of that sort of, sorry, for the next guest without any of that kind of friction that can sort of make it a little bit tricky between check-in and check-outs. I mean, at the end of the day, Airbnb has become an extremely professionalized service now. I think gone are the days where where it was just like someone's spare room and you've got this sort of friendly local host. I think by and large, a lot of what's going on now with Airbnb and with other vacation rentals is it's, it's a real professional service. It's how people make a sort of major, you know, it, it's their incomes. And... Um, and that, that, what that means is that they are, you know, ancillary services around vacation rentals, such as luggage storage, and and there are several others as well, um, some of which we're looking to expand into. This is this is what they're after in order to make the service as professional, as slick as possible. And that's 
that's certainly our mission as a, as a company is to make sort of to make travel more more seamless for, for, for customers and for, for our sort of referral partners too. Are you actually growing, so to say, in the shadow of Airbnb? Because it sounds like right now you're pretty much tied to them. Not just Airbnb, I suppose it's worth saying. I mean, Airbnb is, they're pretty iconic in the vacation rental industry. They are the go-to brand. Um, they kind of, But the, the crazy thing is that, you know, they, they didn't invent the space. Uh, vacation rental has been around for for decades, if not if not longer, before Airbnb came around. They just did such a fantastic job of sort of building and branding their particular service. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's fair to say that without Airbnb's success, it would have been much harder to build the business that we're building. At the same time, there's, we're, 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 we're sort of, We're, we're linked to them in the same way, I suppose, that a lot of our partners are in that you've got sort of vacation rental management companies who list on Airbnb, who use it to drive a lot of traffic. Those same customers are then being referred to us. It's, it's an ecosystem that's kind of built around Airbnb, but it's not limited just to Airbnb. I actually argue that a company like Booking.com, um, they've done, I, I, I don't have the exact stats, but my impression is they're almost as big as Airbnb when it comes to vacation rental bookings having launched a lot more recently, but obviously they have a massive hotel inventory as well. Uh, there are other big players in the vacation rental space. There's Expedia's, VRBO, HomeAway. So there's a lot going on. Airbnb, I think, just happens to be the most iconic. Uh, but certainly their success is, is, is massively beneficial to us. And I mean, they, they're continuing to grow at a phenomenal rate. They overtook Expedia in terms of booked room nights recently. So the way that people travel has... Uh, Has, has absolutely changed as a result of them. I see. And if I do understand it right, um, it your service kind of fulfills a double purpose. At first, the um, landlords kind of get uh, the people out of their room to get them very early um, to prepare the room for the next person. Plus, uh, you have like like this phone shop I just talked about at Times Square that are actually generating traffic through your app because people want to drop off um, stuff there. How, how do you actually acquire the, 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 the drop-off sites? Uh, good question. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's... It's, it's very much a sort of a marketplace set up and it's got all these different kind of uh, actors within it. Um, so the partners are key on the, on the demand side. Uh, and then I suppose you'd call it the supply side, the guys who are supplying the storage. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've, we've built up a massive network of them over time. I remember when we started uh, way back when we, we managed to get about 10 hosts on the platform while we were sort of doing it as a side hustle. I remember thinking, you know, once we had 10, we're like, yeah, now it's going to snowball. And ultimately, over time, it really has. Um, and, and every host that we add makes it easier to add new hosts, which is great. Uh, I guess, I mean, without without revealing too much, uh, there's there's a few a few different ways that we we sort of uh, approach this problem of, of acquiring hosts. The interesting thing is, unlike Airbnb, um, where really, you know, they want to bring on as many hosts as possible, For us, there's actually a kind of uh, a satiation point, as it were. So what I mean by that is that you actually, you wouldn't want every business in a city to be on Stasher because 
it would make it hard to to choose where to store your luggage. And it was also, I think, you know, they they wouldn't have enough sort of ancillary revenue coming through. It would be too dispersed to provide a meaningfully good quality of service. So we looked to get sort of places at key spots near to train stations, near to tourist attractions. A lot of that will be sort of researched in advance. We'll contact them, we'll call, call them, um, we'll reach out to them through whatever channels we can. Going in person and selling is often key. Um, and it's nice, like I say, I mean, the satiation point argument is key because you couldn't do this for every business in a city. But if you know which businesses make sense to target, uh, then you can run these sort of trips to visit them. Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's been a process like that. You know, you, you, you add places iteratively. Uh, we're really focused on sort of prioritizing our expansion. So we've always seen it as critical to be in as many places as possible. Uh, and I mean, officially, as of last week, we're live now on all six continents. We added our first South African stash points, which sees us live on Africa. So that was a really cool milestone as a company. Um, but for us now, the key is sort of prioritizing like which cities to, to, to put our sort of growth efforts into. So um, I hope that answers your question uh, without without sort of giving too much sort of sensitive strategic info. But that's that's roughly the idea. Oh, don't worry. You can give us more, uh, more and more uh, sensitive strategic information. It will. It's just shared between you, me, and like twenty thousand people listening to this podcast. So uh, everything's totally fine. Um, people cannot hear you laughing in the background. Um, I had two more questions. Uh, to that first, what is the fanciest or strangest place where people can stash their luggage away? And second, how does it work for a potential client? Do they need an app? Ooh, um, we have some really, we have some really good places. I mean, we have, we have some fantastic hotels in London, some really quite premium, uh, premier inns off the top of my head that have like really nice lounges. I'm sure we have some uh, some particularly weird and wonderful places around the world as well. Um, I know there's a, there's a particularly strange cafe in Japan. Um, <laughs> there's like I, I know I know we have like we have like sort of a dog cafe in Canada somewhere. Um, what else do we have? I don't, yeah, I have to I have to dig around a little bit. I could, I'm sure I can find stuff that's even weirder. But um, but by and large, I should say. We do try and go for places that are, you know, either either hotels that sort of give off a good level of like customer service quality or, or, or shops that are sort of reliable. So um, it's a perk when we get the weird and wonderful places. Oh, we have a we have a beach hut in Brighton, um, which is like a sort of Swedish arts and crafts center. Uh, the host who runs that, she's really lovely. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, there's a fun mixture. Uh, and what was the second part of your question? Sorry. Sorry, I, I, I just had to laugh so hard because, you know, the headline of the interview is most likely going to be Stasher, you reason to visit a dog cafe in Canada. <laughs> and um, uh, my my second question was, how is it for a user? Do they need an app? How, how does it work, like operationally for for a client, for a user? Uh, so there are apps absolutely that you can download and book, um, but also the website is mobile optimized. And actually, to be honest, we we ran with just the website for quite a long time before investing money in the apps, uh, purely because, as I say, we were acquiring most of our customers through Google. So it sort of it made sense to to, to be web first, um, and was uh, originally slightly easier for us to build. 
but in terms of, uh, of booking, it's super quick. So from point of download or point of opening the website, you can have a booking within two minutes. Uh, it's designed to be somewhere between Airbnb and Uber in terms of experience. Um, uh, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, the process is you search for the city or, or, or town or wherever it is that you need storage. You'll get a map with all the different options. Um, unlike Airbnb, there's not so much to filter on. I mean, you've got opening hours and you've got the sort of location. Prices are pretty standardized. So there's really not an awful lot to sort of distinguish between them. It's purely about what's most convenient for your plans. Uh, and, and so in that way, it's kind of closer to Uber, except that it's not that you'll take the next place because, you know, with, with opening hours and stuff, you might want to factor in a few things. Anyway, you click the place you want. It takes less than a minute to sort of do the, the payment form and, and you're done. And I mean, then you've got a booking and you can take it right in. And I think what we find is actually the majority of customers are booking and using it same day. It's not so much a sort of planned in advance service for like, oh, I'm going traveling. I will need this. It's very much like oh, I'm here now. I've got my bags. What can I do with them? Mm-hmm. I see. And before we get towards the end of the interview, I have a few more questions like how you guys are actually financed. Um, are you looking for an investor right now? Yeah. So we've been venture backed since about 2017. Um, in 2016, when we were first kind of running this as a side hustle, we took some angel funding from the CEO of Big Yellow Storage. Um, that was quite a good story. So the CEO of Big Yellow, Big Yellow is a FTSE 250 company, the biggest self-storage company in the UK. We, um, we cold emailed him just to say, hey, we have the storage idea and we'd like to get some advice on it because, you know, we're doing short-term storage. So it's a sort of, it's adjacent, it's not competitive. Anyway, to, to, to our delight, this guy actually, he, he read our email and, um, and, and took the time not only to reply to it, but to invite us in and to question us about the model. So he came on board as one of our first angel investors off the back of a cold email, which is, which is amazing because that, that really sort of kickstarted the process for us. I think without that sort of boost at that point in time, we would probably have been a little bit too cautious about quitting our jobs and going full time on this. I think we, we really did want to kind of validate the idea with with external funding and give ourselves that runway to try and build a team and grow it uh, and 2017 was a great year for us i mean as, as two founders we went full-time we began hiring around the summer I, growth was ridiculous it's obviously much easier to have exponential growth when you're <laughs> building off of small numbers but it it was really really awesome to see it go from like one bag a day to 100 bags a day um, and then then we then we took on venture funding that was in 2017 uh i think we've been very lucky with the investors that we've brought on as well i think actually for from from my experience of sort of working with investors i think it's it's hugely important that you um you personally get on well with them and professionally and you feel like you can work together i think we've we've been lucky to bring on investors that are so aligned in terms of vision and and so um yeah so so positive about the way that they work with us uh, we are, yeah, we are in fact looking for venture funding again at the moment. We're, we're close to sort of bringing around to conclusion this autumn. I'm hoping we'll be able to sort of publish some results about that in, around Christmas time. Um, and the idea again with that is just that we've actually, I mean, the, the beautiful thing about this model is it's so asset light that it actually, it can run itself profitably. Uh, and the, the reason that we, we want to take venture funding instead is just that I think 
we see so much potential with scale here and it's it's such it's so important to us to be international as quickly as possible uh to to yeah just to just to sort of work with people as quickly as we can to build up the biggest brand i think it's a really exciting space right now i could i mean i could name all our competitors but i bet most people in the world won't even have heard of us or or certainly not any of them and so it's kind of it's it's that exciting stage where actually we're all looking to build up a sort of a brand that people recognize we want to be the brand that people associate with the service i'd love it to be that whenever anyone else kind of comes across one of our competitors they're like oh yeah it's a stasher competitor that's the position we want to put ourselves in and um, for us that means that we want to be hiring the best team right now and just expanding our, our our network of hosts making sure we have the best most convenient service all around the world uh, and that we're working with the best partners to to grow the business so for us it's about acceleration really i think i sometimes feel a little bit um like you know we 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 could run it more slowly organically uh off the back of the sort of uh, the, the profits that we could be generating but i think it's just too too exciting an opportunity not to not to invest venture money in and try and grow to its like you know accelerate that growth get it to get it to the real sort of international potential that it has and you told us already uh, a little bit of my next question even though you didn't know what it would be uh, what are you looking for so you're looking for hosts um, around the world any specific area any specific cities yeah a, a big focus for us in the next year is going to be um, North America and uh, and and also sort of Southeast Asia Australia so when we when we launched we were very much like UK based and then we expanded around Europe and we put a lot of our efforts into Europe. Um, North America is obviously a massive a massive market and we've been we've been present there for a long time but we've been sort of waiting basically to have the opportunity to, to, to really put our growth and attention in there and I think we've already seen great returns to, to the sort of limited effort that we have been able to make in America so I'm, I'm really excited about what's going to go on there and the same for Southeast Asia Australia I mean it's such a it's such a massive market for tourism. And then more midterm, I mean, I'm really excited about getting South America and even parts of Africa up and running. Uh, that I think will probably be, you know, that's it's going to be one to two years away before before we have really the same level of focus applied there. But I think I, I, I find it hugely cool that, you know, we, we, we have this service and it can be it can be live all around the world. Um, we have this fantastic map on our sort of internal dashboards and you can see where people are storing bags each day and it's just It's so fun to see dots on every continent um, popping up. So uh, that's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a really big part of our focus, especially North America. I have one more question because you're always talking about luggage. I was wondering when you're traveling, what do you travel with? <laughs> do you know, there's there's an irony to this because I... I, I, I pack extremely light when I travel. <laughs> um, I'm quite minimalist as a person. Um, that being said, obviously, you know, the, the great thing about Stasher is that you've it's designed to be that you've got storage anywhere, anywhere you might reasonably travel. So it has it has freed me up to pack a little bit more um, when I do go traveling. But I, I have a trusty backpack that I, I took traveling when I was younger, um, uh, which I don't have to check in on planes. I suppose... What I'm trading off here is my, um, my my passion for supporting my own business against my deep reluctance to ever put my bag through <laughs> the airline hold check-in process. 
Um, but no, I, I yeah, I, I generally travel with a backpack. So I like traveling light. What I have done, to be fair, is travel with that backpack and uh, and put it into storage and stasher after having checked out so that I don't have to drag the whole thing around with me. Um, so that's my ideal way to travel, really, is, is pack light enough not to have to check in luggage, um, but not so light that you, you can't sort of benefit from stashing it at the end of a trip. Only two more questions left for me. The uh, uh, this one would be um, if you could describe your life either as a book or movie title or combination of both, what would it be and why? Interesting. It's such a tricky question, this. Um, and I knew you were going to ask me, and I've been trying to think of an answer <laughs> desperately throughout this uh, interview. I remember you said yours was. Um, Forrest Gump, right? Or was it Forrest Gump and Pinky? Yes, a mix of Forrest Gump and Pinky in the Brain. <laughs> and what's the story behind that? Uh, well, Forrest Gump, he he's doing the best he can with what he has, and uh, and Brain is always trying to conquer the world. So make you get. That's <laughs> yeah, a good answer. Um, And, and Forrest is in such interesting places at interesting times, isn't he? Damn, I uh, I need to think of an answer for this. Um, John, do you mind if I come back to you on this one? I'm really sorry. I, I, I'll keep thinking um, while you ask me the next. Okay, and last question would be, how on earth did you end up in this strange phone booth? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if anyone can see me. Will people be able to see the videos? Um, it's it's a bizarre phone booth. It's sort of got this black and white pattern that's almost like being inside an MC Escher drawing. It's like it's sort of playing a visual illusion on you. This is just a phone booth that's in our co-working space. So I'm just in our co-working space office in London, really near Old Street. Uh, the phone booths just happen to have really, really bizarre designs. Um But it's, uh, yeah, I suppose, I suppose it adds something to the backdrop of this video. I'm just trying to think of recent uh, films and books that I've read and enjoyed. I mean, there's a book that I absolutely love, uh, which is Enlightenment by Steven Pinker. And um, I, I, it came out pretty recently, but it's, it's about, it, he, he kind of sort of flips the, the, the negativity of current news trends on their head and he says if you look at trend lines rather than headlines you see that the world is is always sort of building towards greater and greater progress um and i i thought it was a it was a hugely insightful book because i think it's so it's it's easy to feel a little bit sort of overwhelmed by 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 bad news and and by sort of particular stories but cognitive biases impair so many of our sort of perceptions of, of the world and the state of things. I mean, one of my favorite books as a student was Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. Uh, and for anyone who's not familiar with that, it's, it's a brilliant sort of insight into, uh, into the way that the human mind sort of processes information and, and the cognitive biases that we can be subject to. Uh, case in point is the availability bias. If you're able to recall a story uh, more quickly because either it's it's sort of graphic or it's happened recently, it leads you to overestimate the frequency with which events take place. Um, and that's that's kind of what Steven Pinker is talking about in his book is that it's, it's very easy to sort of be 
captured with this sense of gloom and doom. And I mean, that's not to say that there isn't some gloom and doom in the world, especially with the recent state of politics. Um, <laughs> my, my country, Britain, very, very much included in that. But I think what I, what I like about the book, and I guess the, the sort of relevance to us, is that it's, it's about sort of spinning a positive narrative. And I think one of the things we, we value at Stasher a lot and I value as a person is like a real sort of optimism and a belief that you can make the world better um, without sounding too grandiose. Because, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're not saving lives. We're just we're, we're storing luggage. But I, the, the vision here is to make people, you know, to, to, to give people a greater uh, ability to enjoy their time and, and maximize their experiences. And ultimately, that's kind of what, what, what life is all about, really. Um, so I, I guess I'd... I'd, I'd uh, for, for want of a better example, and, and partly subject to my own availability bias, because it's a book I read recently, um, I'd probably go with Enlightenment. It's it's a really, yeah, it's a, it's a really brilliant book, and it does it does spell out the ways that actually um, our lot as human beings has, has, has sort of dramatically improved um, over over the last sort of century, especially sort of the further back in time you go, the comparison becomes even more stark. But it's um, it's it's a brilliant book and he sort of points out as well all the sort of the problems that we face and the way that we've overcome problems in the past and um yeah i'd, I'd go with that great only thing left for me to say is Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you. For everybody who's just listening or seeing the edit, we have been talking for almost 45 minutes here online. Thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thank you very much for having me. That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, events, and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring.